So, uh, today we're going to do a little historical lesson. Tell me a story. Today we're going to talk about Hungary. Okay, I know nothing about it. Damn, that was my first question was, what do you already know about <laughs> Hungary? I don't think I know anything about Hungary. Okay, where is Hungary? Eastern Europe. Good job. You know something about I Hungary. I know one thing about Hungary. <laughs> That's All right. It. What do they speak oh, in Hungary? Uh, Hungarian? Two things. You're on a roll. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else I know about Hungarians? No, nothing. Empty. Brain empty. Do you Fill know with knowledge. what their capital or... You know, not don't bog down on capital, but the most well-known city. city. Yeah. Uh, I can give you a letter if you want. Give me a letter. It starts with a B. Oh, that didn't help at all. Buh. Starts with the name of a very prominent religious figure in the East. But Jesus. <laughs> in the east buddha buddha sorry budapest yeah. oh my god sorry i just thought i really wanted to say bejesus okay <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay okay so i did watch grand budapest hotel yeah there you go <laughs> budapest i think they say it with a sh yeah yeah there's kind of a sh sound and ahead of time apologies to the butchery of people's names people's names don't they don't look too complicated to me in hungarian uh but i didn't Take a lot of, I, I kind of got pressed on time on the research. This happens a lot, but I didn't take a lot of time to figure out the accent mark logic for my understanding. It makes it, it makes it a long vowel, but not in the English understanding of it. Cause otherwise to me, the names sound, uh, a bit strange <laughs> if you do them all with like long consonant sounds. Cause some of them have like one, like they only have two vowels and it's like, it just won't work. I don't know. I'm going to pronounce this best I can, and we'll see. So apologies ahead of time if I mispronounce your family name here. Or just, <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, you A named your kid guy. one of these names or something. Or, yeah, someone you look up to or despise, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> cool. All right. So we're going to talk about Hungary. The highlight, kind of the climax of action here is going to be uh, what's popularly known as the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. Depending on your political stripe, you may see this as a Hungarian counter-revolution, yeah. Hungarian uprising, whatever. We have not yet laid out the facts for you to decide. <laughs> Let's see. But uh, that's going to be the climax. But involved in that, that's 1956. Involved in that is going to be, of course, the prelude to that, the, the roots of that, the kind of aftermath of that, and ultimate fate of Hungary of that, so... But that's our centering place. All right. So let's talk about the roots of communism in Hungary first. Okay. What we got? Uh, the roots of communism go way back, especially if you take on like its socialist history, which is longer than that. The Social Democratic Party in sort of the old, you know, German original vein, Russian original vein of, of having like that means socialist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not like today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that goes back to 1890. Uh, back when it was Hungary was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, like that far back. Ah, okay. And you had the Communist Party of Hungary since 1918 at the end of World War One. So kind of a big difference there uh, in terms of how long they had been. And the Communist Party of Hungary was sort of transplanted uh, from revolutionary Russia. 
Oh, how so? Did people get kicked out and go there? So one of the origins of this, one of the kind of nexus of this is, is a guy named Bella Kuhn, who was a kind of left-wing journalist, but not like affiliated with a party. Uh, But he gets captured in World War I, fighting for the Austro-Hungarian Empire, captured by the Russian army, put in a POW camp and gets radicalized there. And just so happens that the Russian Revolution pops off while he's there in a POW camp. He gets released as, you know, a good communist and ends up returning to Hungary in, uh, you know, after participating in the Russian Civil War and stuff for a bit. He returns with money from the Soviet Union and a plan for revolution in Hungary. Damn. Okay. So they set him up. Yeah. He's, he's this... I don't know, kind of cool operative sort of guy. (laughs) So that's kind of where the Communist Party got its origins. I mentioned, you know, the Empire of Austria-Hungary. They were one of the belligerent nations in World War I. Uh, They were the central powers. Okay, yeah. That's like them and Germany and the Ottoman Empire, those guys, central powers. The guys the U.S. fought, you know. The quote-unquote bad guys. Yeah. They, <laughs> at the end of World War One, fall apart. Yeah, makes sense. And Hungary forms a republic. It's kind of a weird republic because the old king doesn't technically abdicate. He just says, hey, I'm not doing anything anymore. You guys, like, do your thing. But that'll play a role later because the ne- later on they form a new government called like a regency because he's technically the king, but this other oh guy's the God. regent. <laughs> okay, okay. One of these chill kings that aren't actually chill. Yeah, it's stupid royalty shit, you know, mm-hmm. which all of it should be abolished. Totally. The first Hungarian Republic was led by this super weak liberal government. And by super weak, I mean super weak. <laughs> uh, these guys... Woodrow Wilson was out there telling all these nations, like, the war is over and war is over. You guys should all disarm, you know? Hungary was like, yeah, bro, we got you. We're disarming. And they just, like, got rid of their army. Sorry, who would believe that? Like, yeah, sure, no more war. (laughs) Yeah, so immediately they just, like, got invaded by their neighbors. Oh, my God. Uh, They lost 75% of their territory. Jesus. And meanwhile, people weren't listening to them and like the rest of the country and uh, workers and common people were taking power in at the local level in these basically in these Soviets, these revolutionary Mm. councils. Okay. so you had an official government spouting off at the mouth, letting the place get (laughs) run over. But you also had social Democrats and communists working at this local level, kind of a dual power situation. And so. Eventually, that very weak government had to resign. The reason they had to resign is partially because France was sort of in charge of them. France could tell them, hey, buddy, we're going to roll in there with troops because you just surrendered to us. You, you, you guys don't have are any. Yeah, you, we're going to roll in there with troops unless you give up some more territory to these countries. <gasps> okay. Who are they giving territories to? Uh, so their neighbors, um, you had... Czechoslovakia region, um, Yugoslavia region, all this, like, and they were, they were saying, give that up to the, and Romania was also in this. 
Mm, okay, okay. And they were like, give up land to them or else. Damn. And so he was like, well, fuck. I don't know. I can't do That's a lot. I can't do that. Resigned. Gave that up to uh, the Social Democrats. Right? They're, they're basically, at this point, the largest party. And the prime minister, not a fan of communists or anything, says that's, <laughs> they're not as bad. It's okay. Right? So he surrenders it to the Social Democrats. Lo and behold, they had secretly merged yes. with the Communist Party. This is the kind of party, like, <laughs> confusion that I'm into. Like, sure, be a secret communist. That's cool dun, as hell. Dun, dun. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> pro wrestling, like, surprise move, you know. <laughs> You'll turn. Oh, shit. Or like a soap uh, opera. Oh, damn, this is the evil twin. <laughs> he was a communist the whole time. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's Soy good. Soy communista. Pum, <laughs> 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 Uh so, yeah, they were now the Hungarian Socialist Party secretly. And so when they are put in government, they arrest <laughs> that dude. Say, ha-ha, now we're the Hungarian Soviet Republic. This is in 1919, all right? Way before what we're talking about. Yeah, shit, that's like right fucking after Russia. Like, that's, that's cutting-edge shit. Yeah. Hungarian Soviet Republic, most of their government was former social Democrats with a few like diehard communists in there. Now they're working together in this new party uh, with Bela Kuhn being the kind of de facto leader of that in an actual, you know, you can think of it like a Politburo collective leadership style of thing, you know. And they made some radical declarations. They were like, yo, we're doing land reform. Hell yeah, my fave. Always a good start. The aristocracy, it's bullshit. We're getting rid of it. Uh, church, don't mix it with my state. Get it out of here. <laughs> Get that out of here. Free speech, you got it. Freedom of assembly, you got it. Free education, you got it. Uh, we're going to nationalize a bunch of shit. We're going to give people housing, health care, public transport. That's what we're doing. God, this sounds so good. What's going to happen? The problem is they're they're pretty weak, too. They don't have a lot. <laughs> no. They just lost a major war. Uh, they have support in the city among the like industrial workers there. That's their power base. But they're pretty unpopular in the country. Mm, okay. And they don't have the power to project their decrees out into the country. And probably Russia at this point is too weak to offer much support. Uh, yeah, Russia was not there yet. Uh, in terms of, you know, getting there. I mean, they were, at the time, uh, concerned with the Civil War. Yeah, they had some fucking fires to put out. For sure. So, they make these declarations, but no, few of them come to pass. Uh, they also are struggling internally just with counter-revolutionaries and shit. They have to do some Red Terror. There's like a, a portion of the Red Terror that is like the Red Terror in Hungary. Uh, mm which is where they're, you know, going after for real counter-revolutionaries, going mm -hmm. after rebellious people who just don't like what the government's doing. Uh, the death toll for this seems to be in the 300s to 500s. Okay. I mean, not great, but it's not like a big country though, right? Uh, What would their population be at that time? Let's see. 7.8 million. Okay. So like not many. Not many. I mean, it's I many mean, if it's your village, right? But definitely, definitely. Could be worse. Yeah. 
But still, people were, you know, upset about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's not pleasant. Yeah, it lost some support from people who were affected by that and just others who were like, oh, that's repressive. Uh, they, however, lost even more support when there was, uh, to the south of them in Slovakia, uh, which would become part of Czechoslovakia later, they were cool with the establishment of the Slovak Soviet Republic. Okay. Why is that bad? Because they were kind of just being communist about that and saying like, oh yeah, that's cool. But a lot of people in the country weren't really communists and they were like, no, that's bad. That should be ours. That should be part of our country because it has been in the past. Okay. Okay. I see. So it wasn't so much like the people were like, confused at them being communists because it seems like they kind of established that it's more of like a weird nationalist thing right yeah the the people the regular people were more nationalist than that Mm -hmm. and so the big impact of that was their army started to kind of crumble as people deserted and shit uh shit they were unable to maintain their borders as romania was like hey i know they do have an army now they're trying to fight us now but like let's Let's fucking see if we can push this in. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. And they succeed. Romania rolls them up. The communist leadership has to flee. And that lasted like 133 days. Damn. Okay. That's like, what, a third of the year? Yeah. It was not long. The Wimpy Republic is briefly restored, but it's also smashed by the Romanian army. God damn it. Uh, and... They say, you know what Hungary needs is a right-wing government. I mean, I could see in in the best possible charitable look of, well, we've had really weak governments. So let's get a strong government. You know, like, we keep getting beat up. Let's get some crazy nationalists in there. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, these guys sucked, though. <laughs> I'm sure. No, no, no. I'm not endorsing that as a plan. Uh, when you say we, do you mean like the people wanted it or like did somebody install them for them or what? Oh, yeah. Uh, the So the Romanians like the Romanian army takes over and they have kind of helping them this like national army of Hungary, which is this... Uh, this right-wing group under this admiral okay. named Miklos Horthy. Okay, okay. He's going to take over. Yeah, and so they install him. Yeah. And say, so he's good. This is where you get the... They, they do yeah, timeline stuff, but, like, eventually they reorganize into the Kingdom of Hungary, mm. which is that pseudo-kingdom thing because the old king never actually gets to the throne. It's always under regent Miklos Horthy. Okay, okay. Weird. So these guys take power. Uh, They are bad, for example. I'm sure. When they're first coming to power and stuff, first driving toward the capital, they're doing a white terror along the way. Uh, Tens of thousands of people are jailed. uh, Anywhere from... The estimates varied widely on this, and I didn't bother to try to get to the bottom of it, but anywhere from 1,000 to 5,000 people killed... Uh, they targeted leftists, uh, sympathizers of leftists, liberals, and Jewish people. So just, you know, a campaign of terror. Again, while they were on their rise, and then even once they took power, that still kept going. Uh, they were very oppressive. They were anti-communist. They jailed dissidents. They were racist. They were anti-Semitic. 
So they they were fascists. They did what fascists do. See yeah, episode they were, on fascism for more. <laughs> you know, they weren't like overt, stylistically fascist, but they do increasingly ally themselves with Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Mm, okay. Uh, they joined the Axis in World War II, and they collaborated with the Holocaust. Well, fuck. Yeah, so the Horthy government, terrible shit. By, by the time everything starts going to shit in 1944, they try to negotiate a peace with the Allies separately, and <laughs> Germany is like, fuck you, you're not doing that, and invades them. <laughs> Okay. Uh, sets up their own like Nazi puppet government uh, with this truly fascist, overtly fascist party. <laughs> this time, regular, classic fascist. Yeah, it's like a knockoff off-brand Nazis. <laughs> They're called the Arrow Cross Party. Okay, that sounds... Why does that sound familiar? I don't know. No, I'm thinking of the weird Arrows movement. Oh, yeah, that's... That's Similar. Weird. Here, let me send you their page and you can... Their flag, it's like a, yeah. it's like a Microsoft Paint, uh, like the move icon, Boy Scout plus USA flag. That's their party flag logo. It looks like the move icon you get like when you're moving an object in like Adobe Illustrator or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on a shield and there's just a fucking ugly H. I can't even, the tangents on this thing it's not touching the corners, and it does not look optically aligned with the corners. It just looks like it's in fucking aerial. This is the ugliest goddamn thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's bad. If you scroll down, you see the flag, too, which has that, like, the American <sighs> oh, yeah. stripes. That wasn't even, sorry, that was just the seal, I guess. Yeah, the flag is also terrible. It's wow. also off-center. You just yeah. put me onto that. That's wild. Oh, <laughs> Their Wikipedia page comes complete with a... Image of Jewish victims of arrow crossmen in the court of Dohani mm. Street Synagogue. Like they just, mm, their God. page has piles of bodies on it. So wow. that's how you know they're good. Uh, so earlier, the Horthy government collaborated with the Nazis and did, you know, uh, help the Holocaust along. But sympathetic historians really play this up. But it numbers wise does show up that in some ways they drag their heels or something. Because the number of uh, people that are deported uh, to concentration camps in Nazi Germany, like, shoots up once the Arrow Cross Party guys get in. Okay, okay, so, so they do some Horthy was an asshole shit. for doing whatever he did with it, but these guys were way worse. Um, yeah. Because they liked it, I mean, you know? Ugh, yeah. And then the Soviets roll in to liberate Hungary uh, from the Nazis. And this is, a, you know, another big picture thing to keep in mind. A difference between them and, say, Yugoslavia is, in their case, in Hungary's case, the Red Army from the Soviet Union was the main liberating force. There were some resistance people and stuff in Hungary that were fighting the Nazis, but it was very few. It wasn't mm. enough to really do anything militarily, rather than they were the ones who, you know, mainly fought the resistance and, and, you know, got their own liberation. It was kind of beholden to the Soviet Union in that regard. So the Soviets were going to basically decide the fate of Hungary after the war. Okay. what they do. And so it's in that context that we end up uh, with the slow emergence of a socialist Hungary. Okay. How does that work out? The Soviets occupy Hungary. They set up a 
government called the Second Hungarian Republic. First one, a little weak. Let's try again. (laughs) Let's try that again. Kind (laughs) of sucked. And they held elections. So in 1945, these elections were won by a party called the Independent Smallholders Party. Mm, That's kind of cute. Yeah, it was like a farmers and middle class kind of party. Okay, okay. Could be good. So giving Stardew Valley vibes, I guess. (laughs) Sure, sure. They won by a lot. I mean, the socialists and the communists ran separately and were like at 17% each. And these guys had like basically a rest of it. Was, it was a trouncing. Damn, yeah. But because the Soviets occupied Hungary, they said, okay, I know you won by a lot. But you have to set up a coalition government and you have to let the communist party have some key posts. Oh, that's a little weird. Yeah, it was sort of a trick move. Um, <laughs> it's not even a trick. It's just... Kind of sus. Just like, yeah, we're in charge, though, so you have to do this. Okay, okay, sure. Uh, So one of the posts uh, was the head of, you know, security, including, like, the secret police. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They were called, I don't remember what their name at the time was, but they eventually get called the State Protection Authority, the AVH, uh, which was then kind of used the minister in charge of that sort of directed uh, Mm -hmm. them to look into say opposition party members Uh, and many of them end up being accused of being fascists or being fascist sympathizers uh, and are you know arrested and stuff so Hungary had a nasty history of fascist collaboration it would be kind of weird if no one in politics (laughs) had ever been involved in that I, yeah, I think that's, I wouldn't say fair, but understandable, maybe is what I would say. Because I'm thinking of, in our episode on East Germany, the uh, the drastic difference of denazification in the East versus West Germany, which was just like, yeah, you can, we're not going to pursue you and persecute you and all that stuff. And uh, so they just got in power. So I do think you got to do some Nazi hunting post-World War II, or else you just get Nazis in charge again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I think there was probably some element of it. I do also think it was maybe a little too convenient, then they probably rounded up some extra folks who they were like, <laughs> this guy's an asshole. Can we just this say he's a Nazi? Sucks. He's a grammar Nazi. That's bad enough. Let's get rid of him. Come on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that's not good. They probably did some of that. That's not good. That's a strike. I mean, this isn't a bio, but still. (laughs) Uh, The Communist Party also put pressure on the other parties in their coalition uh, to purge their membership. Not (laughs) take them out to the blender and put them in the blender, (laughs) but just kick out assholes. Kick them out. You know, kick out your very conservative people, your right wing people. We don't need them. What are they doing here? Are they lost? That's fine. Get them out. I mean, they shouldn't be in that party. Like, go form your own party if you're going to be like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. So they said that, and then increasingly they kind of ramped this up to being like, get rid of these guys, too. I mean, they're, they're wishy-washy. You never know what they're going to do. <laughs> okay. And they just kind of a foot-in-the-door technique of, of kind of increasing, uh, increasing your ask. Uh, they really wanted people who were on board uh, with what the communists wanted to do. They were, they're not very big, though. They're going to be too small if they kick out everybody. Well, but replace them. I mean, bring in With new guys. But, like, 
guys that like the communists. You know? Okay, okay. And this approach was called salami tactics. <laughs> Why is that? I love salami. Salami's great. Uh, the The name was because it was this sort of like slicing it off like little slices of salami (laughs) bit by bit approach to kind of gain power you know okay interesting and i gotta be honest this section of it the sources that i was working with seemed to all be fairly anti-communist so i pieced together as best i could taking the general like consensus that they had and seeing how can this make sense based on what the party's trying to do and whatever Uh, The simple story seems to go that over the next few years after that election, the Communist Party is able to kind of whittle away the opposition party leadership uh, from like guys who diehard believed in whatever, you know, the smallholders and stuff um, and get more and more people who liked or agreed with the communists, you know, more amenable folks. Okay, this is a stupid question, maybe. What is, I guess, the process of doing that? Is it, I mean, I understand, like, there's definitely, sounds like there's an element of, like, yeah, we'll arrest some of them. Like, yeah, that's nasty. But as far as, like, getting new people in, when you say, like, oh, we're kicking people out of the party, or we're adding people to the party, that's just like, hey, you you show up to this meeting. That's not an elected thing, right? That's just like a, you're, you're a guy that hangs out with us? No, so they're talking about, like, um... Yeah, more elected posts or like leader party leadership. So people who are going to end up in parliament, say, people who are seated in parliament, and you're like, actually, this guy's a fucking fascist. Kick him out and replace him because the election's already happened. We got some time to the other election. Replace him with a good guy and then run him next time. He's in your party now. Like, he's a guy. Run him. And we know that he likes us. It's going to be good. Or when the election's coming up, say, hey, why did y'all put these guys on your list? These guys are fucking reactionary pieces of shit. Get them out of here. Put in these guys. Don't look into this dude, but put in all these guys. They're great. You know? <laughs> Don't look too hard. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So, a little shady, I'd say. I think it is. I understand it. And I also I understand it in the in the context of just trying to increase your numbers. Uh, but especially because you start out so small. I mean, we mentioned before the kind of historical roots problem of sort of being transplanted of there not really being a very strong partisan resistance during world war two, when you're completely been taken over by invaded by another country and still you're not, you know, widespread partisans and stuff. Your populace is not quite there. Yeah. I, I feel like, I don't often <laughs> advocate for doing a little less, but not even less. I think I would have just switched tactics in this and like, one, you could just wait for that liberal government to fuck up again. They always <laughs> do. And in the meantime, build up your power with the people and like go out there and like start converting regular ass folks so that when the time comes, when they do fuck up, you can be like, look at those fuckers. Get mad at them. <laughs> I think, yeah, it, that's, that's probably a, a good approach. I think you might be worried about maybe the moment passing you by. Like it's harder mm-hmm, to make mm-hmm. the judgment in retrospect, right? But totally, totally. The other thing they had to contend with, though, that I would add that kind of makes that impossible is they're Soviet occupied, and the Soviets mm-hmm. are telling them 
hey, you need to step things up, quote unquote, intensify the class conflict, like do it. So they weren't entirely independent in that way. Yeah, I guess I wish the Soviet Union would have supported them more in that effort. Like, I don't know. I mean, again, the Soviet Union had such a vanguard set up too. They're probably like, yeah, it's totally fine. You have a small party, (laughs) you know, so. (laughs) You started small uh, too, yeah. Yeah, no big deal. So that's kind of where they find themselves uh, gradually gaining power. In 1948, they've done enough to orchestrate things to where they're able to merge with the Social Democratic Party. Communists and Social Democratic Party merged to form the Hungarian Working People's Party. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. They have a pretty cool logo or party flag, I should say. Not a logo. Because the logo looks to just be their flag in motion, which is stupid, but... That is stupid. But the flag looks kind of good. I don't know. Yeah, that's good. You got, you know, your basic stripes and then a wheat and then a star. And then I like the little, you know, new Soviet people flag mm. beneath it, like our poster. Yeah, this poster's sick. Yeah, there was a a great thread of May Day posters on Twitter today. Oh, it is, yeah. It's the first as we're recording, so... I love yeah. that. It was nice. I'm joining whatever they're joining, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. So you're saying, I mean, right, they should just do more of the posters. like <laughs> Make more of these <laughs> sick posters. Go help people. Uh, quick question. How rural is Hungary at this point? Like, is it pretty spread out, you know? And like, yeah, lots of it was rural. Yeah. Hard to traverse maybe too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that makes, that makes education and like, you know, spreading the good word a little hard. Yeah. There's a big difference there, uh, between if you've got Budapest, uh, Debrecen, Sheged, but like aside, you know, I mean, you, you've got. You do have major cities, and you have more than that, but lots of countryside, especially at that time, not as built up. You want to know the stupid thing I'm Googling right now? Yeah. <laughs> Compare Hungary size to United States. Oh, it's like okay. New York or something, like geographically. I don't About know. About the same size of the state of Indiana. Indiana, wow. <laughs> so the Indiana of Europe. <laughs> Let's put that on your poster. <laughs> you got wheat. Yeah. They probably have wheat there. I don't know. <laughs> the Indiana Working People's Party. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so now that we've got a growing party, oh, yeah. although th- through some weird means, they uh, what do we do with it? So they're merging with the Social Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To form the Hungarian Working People's Party. With their hot people on their posters. Yeah. And then... In 1949, for the upcoming election, they formed the Hungarian Independence People's Front, which is just like an electoral coalition. Coalition, But again, by this point, they've done all this work uh, to, to convince, to cajole those other parties, uh, to change their kind of membership and leadership and stuff, to where all those other political parties, the smallholders and everyone join the Independence People's Front. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Looks like they put in some work. And so now mostly those parties are fellow travelers. I mean, they're, they're, they're not communists, but they like them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this front in 1949 wins the election massively because it's a single list election. It's just like, hey, do you like <laughs> the guys that we chose from all the parties that are? That are? Government? Yes, no. <laughs> yeah. 
And so they end up doing that. They end up winning overwhelmingly, and they put together a new constitution, August 20th, 1949, that creates the Hungarian People's Republic. All righty. Let's do this one. We got the First Republic, the Second Republic, now the People's Republic. People's Republic of Indiana. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, it's mod- you know, the Constitution's modeled after the Soviet Union, a country of workers and peasants. Uh, and yeah, they set about the leader at this point, the general secretary of the party, and he, so he's the guy in charge, basically. Although it's you know, there's there's factions and stuff within. Uh, is a guy named Matthias Rakosi, and under Rakosi, Hungary undertakes very ambitious reforms to bring about socialism. What we got on the on the docket? Well, first of all, let's deal with the weight around their neck, uh, which is having to pay a bunch of reparations. Oh, yeah. They were like the bad guys in a war, huh? Yeah. So calculating it out to today's money, you're looking at $3.8 billion. Ooh, it's a lot of dollars, especially for Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana had to pay $3.8 billion. <laughs> Uh, to the Soviet Union, to Czechoslovakia, and to Yugoslavia. Not like each, I think, total. But this the payments on this is like 22% of your national income a year. Woof, woof. So that's really going to drag them down the whole time. Uh, but they do push for land reform. Good. Uh, there's a massive push for collectivization. The government seizes large land holdings from Nagy Gazdak, which is... Mm, sort of the Hungarian version of kulaks or, you know, large mm. land holder, you know, small business owners, as we would say, <laughs> I guess. 60% of the government seized land would go to cooperatives and 40% would be distributed to private peasants. Nice. Uh, the government also pressured peasants to join cooperatives, but a lot of them were resistant to this. Only around 25% of peasants said yeah man i'm signing up uh there was like just a lot of resistance that they didn't trust it didn't like it didn't want Mm. to okay so (laughs) the land was not being used properly then probably yeah it seemed like it was less than successful this approach just because there wasn't enough buy-in they also they did some other good things they expanded education universalized education the sources that I was working with very much complained that they also included a side of propaganda. You know, they were trying to <laughs> inculcate, you know, socialist values and stuff in the kids, which honestly is kind of good. I don't know. They need that. Like, I mean, that's fine. I mean, st- we definitely don't uh, try to instill any values in the American educational system. <laughs> I'm making a giant jerk off motion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, if you're going to develop more popular support, you need somebody needs to do that. So. They need those fucking people in the co-ops. They're yeah. like 25%. That's not enough. <laughs> we'll teach your kids. They'll bother you till you go into the co-ops. <laughs> Mom, why aren't you in a co-op? That's so lame. <laughs> You're embarrassing me. Oh. The Rakosi regime, the government, was also pretty repressive. Uh-oh. This is a lot of what my sources were really trying to emphasize. And it does kind of come across that generally Rakosi is viewed negatively in Hungary. Uh, He was just kind of a mean guy. Okay, well, what was he not into? So he purged a lot of his opponents. That's not cool. Which 
again, it's not a hundred percent thing. You know, eh, lots of people were just like kicked out of the party or something. Uh, but sometimes they were really put through it. A guy named Janos Kadar, who goes on to be the future party leader later. Mm. Spoilers. Uh, he's purged, uh, arrested, uh, tortured by the secret Oof. police. Okay, yeah. That's that's a strike on this guy. He's sentenced to life imprisonment. Fuck. Okay. Which apparently starts with solitary confinement. Fuck, no. Uh, which he had to endure three years of. That's terrible. That's just torture. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and eventually he he is released, so obviously because he becomes future party leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured that one out. But this is just one dude. Um, like we say, it's it's not this happened to everybody but lots of people were arrested were imprisoned were tortured were executed you know suspected of being spies or reactionary agents there was a lot of that if you're not a nazi not cool yeah probably some of it was justified in the sense that this not that you just skip the torture it doesn't really serve a purpose No, no no don't do that you know lots of it or some amount of it probably was like a legitimate target for some bad asshole who was working with somebody trying to overthrow things. Sure. But probably not that many, you know? No, no. Okay. That sucks. I don't like that. You know, more caveats. I guess we're sitting from the future. We can look back and say, and maybe he didn't have all the info, but like still. It's not a good look. Yeah. Do you do it like people who were in the party too and like had similar ish views, but like they were just clashing on one particular thing. It ranged uh, widely. People with, you know, in the party with very different opinions. People in the party who had been super loyal up to that point. His what former, um, his former police secret police chief guy took him out. You know, sort of Stalin with um, with his guys. You know, similar vibe there. But yeah, generally uh, not. A guy that's remembered fondly in Hungarian history, so. No, he seems kind of shitty. But by 1953, things were rough in Hungary, Uh, especially economically. People were upset with the government because, like, living standards weren't going anywhere. They had, you know, a little bit of improvement, but they kept having to pay all this money. They kept having, like, essentially austerity. Like, it just was not good. You can't do austerity and communism at the same time. Yeah. So the party's like, shit, what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to we're gonna do a new PM. So the, the positions of general secretary and prime minister are actually separate. Uh, they're not always, sometimes they're the same guy. So Rakasi did that for a while. But here the party's like, no, you don't get to do that. You're... People are kind of mad at you. Like, we'll let you still be the general secretary because you're our boy. But this other, we're going to give this other guy a shot to be kind of the, the public face guy, you know? Question. Yeah. How involved is the Soviet Union at this point, both in terms of, like, advising them on what to do and in terms of aid? In terms of aid, I would say, like, negative in that they're constantly taking money in the form of reparations. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're not, they're hurting. <laughs> yeah, in terms of aid, uh, in terms of influence, they are trying to direct things as much as they can. I mean, it's not like 100% one-to-one, but they're strongly advising. Uh, they weren't occupying 
militarily or anything, but they were right next door. So it was like possible, you know, it was always a threat, but they weren't there. Don't fuck up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So they say, Rockacy, you're not our PM anymore. You're not prime minister. We're going to instead put this guy, Imre Nagy, in charge. All right. Sliding into the PMs. Yeah. So Nagy was a reformer. Uh Uh-oh. He kind of wanted to be nicer. I mean, I like that. He wanted to open things up a little bit. Uh, So Mm -hmm. examples. Remove state control of mass media. Let the people say what they want to say. Sure. He's like, roast me. I don't care. (laughs) Uh, He released political prisoners. And he also talked about liberalizing the economy to produce more consumer goods. Mm, Okay. Okay. You can do the consumer goods part. I don't know if you need to like liberalize the economy to do that, but whatever, whatever. Yeah. So this is what he called his new course for Hungary. And... You know, especially all of it, really, all of it was a little too much for the party old guard. Uh, they were like, what the fuck is this? And they're constantly, you know what I mean? Rackus is still there and he's doing whatever he can within the party apparatus and stuff. And that's deep connections all over the government, all over. He's trying to fucking undermine this guy. Yeah. And that pretty much succeeds. He's able to gum up the works enough to where a lot of this <laughs> shit. shit just just bogs down okay. uh, and in 1955 the central committee is like nagi you're an idiot you're just <laughs> you're a right-wing loser you don't know what you're doing we're putting rakasi back in <laughs> i don't think he's right wing but i do think yeah he had some weenie tendencies so they kick him out uh of his posts he, i think he's, he's still in the party at this point and they put rakasi back in but by this point things have changed so Rakasi was sort of like Stalin's number one guy. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm like Stalin, but Hungarian. Like he's like that's he models <laughs> himself after that, you know. Oh gosh, okay. Uh, but by this point, Stalin's dead. Okay. And in 1956, Khrushchev famously gives his secret speech, <gasps> where he shit talks everybody. Yeah, where he's like, Stalin was the worst. And I'm so much better because I'm Khrushchev and uh, starts the Khrushchev thaw, which is either like a breath of fresh air or the first step on the road to revisionism. <laughs> whatever Depending you believe. on who you ask. Yeah. So things were changing. And the Soviet Politburo goes to Hungary and says, uh, hey, you got this old guy here, Rakasi. He's a little too Stalin-esque. Yeah, we hear he's like, Stalin, and that's not good anymore. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, You got to change things. Stalin's out. This season's all about Khrushchev. So they say, okay, we'll change things. We'll go with a new guy, which is not a great choice because it was a guy who was really loyal to Rakasi, which I just don't (laughs) get as the follow-up choice. Yeah, unless he was, like, secretly loyal, but he's like, ah, I was just using him for my position. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Uh, but it's Erno Giro. His time in office would also prove to be pretty brief. Uh, but we'll get back to him. So here's a, here's a big kind of international event that changes things and kind of kicks off our road to the uprising. In June of 1956, in Poland... 
you have the Poznan protests. What's that? Uh, protesters and striking workers uh, were demanding better working conditions and fewer shortages of like food and consumer goods in the Polish People's Republic, which was the government there. Okay. Were they, uh, I guess, what kind of government was in charge at the time? So they were like socialists. I mean, they were like a Marxist-Leninist party. Well, shit, they're think. not doing a very good job, are they? Of what? I mean, their workers Running are their striking. country, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were going through some shit. Yeah, sounds like it. Things were not good there, and people started striking, and the government called out the Polish People's Army uh, and no. crushed them and no. murdered lots of people. Okay, so they're really bad Marxist-Leninists because they're fucking firing on workers. Like, fuck that. Yeah, so... <laughs> it's an interesting reaction that the party has at that point there in Poland. The party at first says, uh, yeah, that we did what we did. Like, don't fucking strike against us. What the hell were you doing? You know? Fuck. Okay. But quickly they realize that the Soviet Union they were used to going against, you know, going up to and, and saying, hey, look what we did. Or like, what do you want us to do? And they're like, <laughs> did you like be that? Strong. <laughs> yeah. The Soviet Union is like, what the fuck? Like, uh, they're not willing to step in and help. They're not willing to support them when they do stuff, and so there's they're kind of like, oh. Ah, they're fucked. Okay. All right. New time, new leaders, new people. Uh, and so this brings about a new period in Poland uh, called the Polish October, where uh, they make some reforms, and they say, okay, all right, you guys, uh, we're going to give you better wages. Uh, we're going to chart more of an independent course sort of quasi from the Soviet Union. We're going to be like, Poland is cool rather than the Soviets are cool. It's not like a huge departure in that regard, but they, they kind yeah, of... Yeah, they're trying to do more of their own thing. Yeah, a little bit of a rebrand and a little bit more of a listening to the people sort of thing. That sounds good. It is important in its own right, but it's only important for us because the Hungarians heard about it. Uh-oh. Did they get mad about it or are they like, that sounds hot? That sounds hot. Okay. So October and sort of they're mad about it because like, what about us? Right. So October 1956, some university students who are meeting up to play cards decide, you know, I guess they, they get a few drinks in them <laughs> and they say, you know, man, we should start like a union, but not like the lame one that's run by like the party man, but like our Ooh. own, our own student union unsanctioned by anybody. Right. <gasps> Okay. So they resurrect this old student union that had been banned under Rockacy. Uh They organize, they grow their numbers, you know, they make a few viral posts to get people to uh, turn out for them. And eventually they put out a list of demands. Okay, what do we got here? We want the election of party members by secret ballot. That's fine. Sounds kind of good. Okay. We want a new government led by Nagi, and we want to kick out anybody who's held over from the old Rockacy days. That guy was an asshole. We don't want anybody in support of him. <sighs> okay. I mean, seems like a lot, but I get what they're coming from. Uh, we also want multi-party elections, secret ballot, mm. general elections, basically a liberal democracy. I don't like that one as much. Yeah, you got to get the capitalists in there if you want that. 
which isn't great. Uh, we want the right to strike. We want a yeah, minimum. Yeah, I like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we want a minimum living wage for workers. Uh, and we want generally increased pay overall. I guess my question would be, how are you going to get all the rest of those things when you just introduce the idea of a multi-party system? Unless your party's like the anarchist party or... <laughs> You know? Sure. Yeah. Or like the even more communist party. Like, <laughs> what's your plan there, buddy? Yeah, you're going to get some, you're intentionally incre- increasing the opposition to the things you're asking for if you do those two at once. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, I, I, I don't mind lots of parties, like I've said before. I prefer them to be more organizational in nature rather than, than political parties. But you could theoretically do it. Yeah. Uh, they also wanted a... There, there, so there's several different things on their list of demand that kind of have to do with this, but basically a better economy run by more expertised people overall, like nerdier people in charge of the economy and do it better. Okay. They want some wonks in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, freedom of opinion and expression and press yeah. and radio. And they also specifically were like, Hey, also take down this Stalin statue. We don't like Stalin. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I wouldn't <laughs> want a Stalin statue in my town. Uh, there are worse statues to have, but yeah. It's not I mean, a Robert E. Lee statue. I saw it in Dallas. <laughs> I'd be pretty psyched, I guess, just like the sheer audacity of it. But uh, I would still be a little confused. And relocated to Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Can you imagine how quickly that would be defaced? <laughs> Blown and up. shot with many guns. Yeah. Well. So yeah, they issued these demands and then october 23rd they take to the streets to protest okay okay to read their demands to sing songs to just have a time you know and like twenty thousand people show up is it okay who's in charge right now rock is he jero jero okay good because if it was the other guy he'd be like i'm gonna kill them all <laughs> <laughs> yeah jero reacts in gr- more grumpily than bloodthirstily uh he gives a kind of rude speech on the radio <laughs> he's calling them punk ass kids yeah these guys are all bourgeois losers punk ass <laughs> kids damn and the protesters hear this and they're like he said what <laughs> and so they're like you know that last demand we're doing it now we're fuck it we're doing it live oh and they shit. took down the stalin statue oh shit yeah, and then some of the protesters went to the National Radio Station building, and then this is unclear. The only sources I could find basically said that they heard some rumors that protesters had been arrested and killed by the secret police for trying to enter earlier, like go into the radio station earlier, to broadcast an anti-Soviet message. But none of the sources said, did that happen, or was that just a rumor? So pro- I guess it was just a rumor? I mean, no. yeah, you'd think that would be like part of the, the, the reporting of, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So uh, they go there, they hear about that, and they're like mad, you know? And so violence breaks out. Again, short on like the details of it because people didn't write down every little thing, I guess. Uh, but eventually the secret police threw tear gas out the windows and opened fire on oh, the protesters gosh. and stuff. Oh, gosh. Okay. But then things escalated. Both sides end up shooting because protesters are able to capture weapons from the army and the police. They set cop cars on fire and Jarreau 
ends up calling the Soviet Union for help to suppress the revolt. Uh-oh. In some ways, he's justified. And I don't know his insider information, what you know people were telling him directly. But there were also, in addition to just student protesters, lots of people who were stepping into the vacuum here and bringing back the old right-wing shit. Okay, see, that's what I was worried about, is that... Okay, when you say stepping in the vacuum, do you mean like, oh, this is, you know, this guy has this idea and he's been living here the whole time? Or like maybe some new guys like happened to enter the country from somewhere? I mean, both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> people who had been living there for a long time and who are strangely reticent about what they were doing from 1941 to 1945. <laughs> those Don't worry about that. We're definitely out on the prowl. Herbert Aptheker, an American Marxist historian, wrote in The Truth About Hungary, citing contemporary newspaper reports of posters in Budapest reading Down with the Jews. Whoa. Uh, and reports from Jewish communities of anti-Semitic violence, uh, a Jewish newspaper in Paris saying that uh, refugees in France generally claimed that when Soviet soldiers later arrived, to, that, that, that saved their lives. Even the New York Times, noted anti-communist <laughs> bastion that it is, reported that many Jewish refugees from Hungary had fled from an anti-Semitic pogrom-like atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you got a rise in, in fascist tendencies here. What about some, some fuckery? What's the United States up to? Are we poking our head in there? Uh, yeah, so they uh, were. <laughs> Imagine my shock. The CIA, everybody's friend of the show, CIA, Dave and Dan, shout out. Mm-hmm. So y'all's predecessors... Grandpa Dan, Grandpa Dave. They're just still Dave and Dan. I was going to give them more. Like Danforth and... Mm, okay. Uh. Dave and Danforth uh, <laughs> were out there. Uh, teamed up with their very own, like literally they secretly funded until the 70s, uh, Radio Free Europe, which was okay. like an American propaganda radio network. Okay. Which its broadcasters were mainly like angry Hungarian dissidents and stuff because it was it was custom made to each country that they were blasting into, and Radio Free, Free Europe was going around with cars rigged with uh, sound equipment, blasting their broadcasts, exhorting the rebels to continue, offering them tactical advice like how to destroy railway lines. Oh shit! Where to find weapons when you ransack a barrack? and saying, don't you worry, keep it up. The U.S. military is on its way to back you up. I don't think they were, were they? They were not. That was okay, already just, a decision. Just checking. But yeah, they, they knew that they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were totally there. Uh, CIA had operatives there helping the students organize. Mm -hmm. It probably wasn't like crucial. I wouldn't say that. I do think that there like, were legitimate enough problems that most of the real impetus was on the Hungarian people to start with. I, th I think that the CIA operatives probably stepped in and said, yo, let's ramp this up as much <laughs> as we can. Yeah. They poured a little gasoline on that. Yeah. So that blood's on their hands, but like just it happening, I don't think is a foreign creation. I wouldn't want to sideline people that much. Yeah. Okay. So like, 
I do get what the students were complaining about. Like, I fucking get it. Like, I liked all of their demands except one. Yeah, that's a pretty crucial one, though. That's saying, like, <laughs> essentially give up the dictatorship of the proletariat, you know? I guess it doesn't have to be. If they had outlined, I mean, to, in my head, I guess, I'm like, well, everything that they're for could still be construed communist, except for the one-party thing, and there are such things as multi-party communist systems. So, like, if they had been vigilant about saying, oh, also, fuck fascists, we're not on their side, we're not working with them, like, if we see them, we're going to beat them up, that kind of thing, Yeah. then... Or, and been more clear about like, yeah, we're, you know, fucking anarcho-communists or we're communists or whatever. Just saying like, yeah, we're also communists and we think you're doing a bad job of communism. Then I would be more okay with it. But I guess, yeah, they were a little wishy-washy in their label, which I guess shouldn't have to matter. But it, it does in the sense that it leaves these openings for fascists to be like, hey, I smell trouble. Let me fucking get my big dick in there and like ruin <laughs> things. Yeah, for sure. So let's see how this all plays out. Mm. We said... Giroux had called for the Soviets to help suppress it. And sure enough, October 24th, Soviet troops roll into Budapest and uh, quell things from happening. Now, this is, broadly speaking, fairly unpopular unless you were like a real party diehard or you were just about to get pogromed. Other than that, you generally didn't like this. I'm surprised they did it because they like were hands off with Poland. Yeah. Was this, like, worse? Uh, here, no, I mean, here the re- the difference is that Poland did the did the deed already. Uh, yeah, they're like, hey, I shot these guys. Did you like it? And they're like, hey, can you come help me shoot these guys? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Leadership at this point, they, they realized, ah, people are really mad that we just mm-hmm. did that. And so over the next few days, the timeline kind of, uh, it's a little confusing day to day, but it's not super important. They end up changing the leadership of the party in, in Hungary to try to calm things down. So the old guy, Nagy, uh, the reformer guy, he's made PM again. Okay, one more again. And a new guy, the guy who was tortured before, is now made general secretary, Janos Kadar. They're thinking, okay, we changed it up. These guys uh, plead for a ceasefire. Which doesn't exactly work. There's more violence. Uh, protesters go up to like the Soviet tanks that are in Budapest and like hang out with them. They're like, hey, we're cool. Like we're friends. And they like fraternize or whatever. They're like giving them pamphlets. Like we're just Hungarians. Hey, you know, just trying to hang out. They also, some of them go up and they're like, hey, we, can, you, can you guys like take this to parliament? This is our list of demands. Like, oh, help us out, you know. Uh, and then, you know, one of the Soviet generals at some point is like, what the fuck? Like, these guys are, are the, this the reason we're called here. Like, don't listen to these assholes. <laughs> and has his uh, tanks, like, shoot off warning <gasps> shots. Oh, okay. And then some other tanks, and they're like, oh, shit, all right, well, we're going. Oh. And so they, they shoot, like, they they shoot into a building one of them shoots into some protesters that are taking cover this ends up killing between 75 and a thousand people which to me is a very broad estimate that's of people a really but, yeah that could be anything but uh that's what you i got. just said some is what you said <laughs> some <laughs> yeah some some people 75 maybe a thousand maybe, maybe. Gee, those are very some different people. numbers <laughs> yeah meanwhile you had the the revolutionaries or the counter-revolutionaries depending on how you look at them 
going around and attacking pro-Soviet Hungarian secret police officers. A lot of these guys even had lists of people who were identified ahead of time as like on the list for summary execution. Whoa. So kind of crazy shit. Yeah. Eventually, Nagi's government was able to calm things down a bit. Uh, he released this general guy named Bela Kirali, uh, who was a like a political prisoner. Uh, and they formed like a national guard and went after the like the old central committee party headquarters place and just like uh, executed some people who were resisting there. And the Red Army ended up retreating from Budapest itself out into the countryside. Shit. Okay. So there was sort of like a like an interim, a little interlude in the fighting. So at this point, the new Hungarian government and then the kind of revolutionaries said, well, maybe the Soviets are withdrawing. And we should say it's sort of a quote-unquote ceasefire because still you had uh, roving bands, especially in the countryside, of these revolutionaries going around executing or lynching around 200 party members throughout uh, October 28th through November 2nd. Which, again, like we said in the millions, count sort of isn't that much, but still it's not great Mm -hmm. uh, to have that sort of thing. In the kind of lull in activity, Nagi agreed to some terms, basically. He said, okay, look, I'm on the side of the revolutionaries. I think this is good. I'm going to grant amnesty to you and negotiate with you. We're going to disband the secret police. We're going to set up a national guard, and we're going to negotiate with the Red Army to get them to withdraw. And meanwhile... Since the government, the old government was basically gone, the new one had just been set up, sort of, but, like, it's in the middle of all this fighting, like, who knows who's listening to who, right? Chaos. People were setting up workers' councils throughout Hungary. Oh, okay, I like that. At the workplace level, at the community level, sort of assuming the responsibilities of local government. Just do that. <laughs> yeah, all October 30th, Nagi essentially recognized those officially said y'all are cool and <laughs> like asked that. for their support that's great okay wow i was not expecting that I'm, I'm relieved a little well i mean cautiously relieved <laughs> uh cold war wise this is interesting because of course it plays into uh you know what's the, the u.s want what's the soviet union want both of them trying to figure out what to do we mentioned already the u.s with their cia fuckery but they had resolved not to intervene directly, like with their military. Uh, they were sort of distracted by the Suez crisis, where Britain and France and Israel had planned and executed an invasion of Egypt. Oh, okay. Uh, because Egypt had nationalized the Suez Canal. Oh, yeah, that'll, that'll do it, huh? <laughs> yeah. That was like <laughs> happening at the same time. Okay, yeah. It was too much and it wasn't a good look. For the West to say, hey, quit it, Soviet Union invading a country, (laughs) when their own side had been doing that. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Soviet Union, for their part, were definitely disturbed, but at the time, when, when you're first going into this lull of fighting, they're thinking that this is manageable. The protesters seemed mainly to be mad about economic problems rather than ideology. Yes, that's a good sign. The West was staying out because they had to deal with the Suez crisis. Mm-hmm. 
And so initially they're like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's negotiate a withdrawal. Why not? That's, that's, sure. that's okay. But there were a couple of big changes. Uh, one kind of the attitude of the Soviet Union and the Soviet people is that news footage started flooding into the Soviet Union about the attacks on the secret police officers. Uh-oh. These guys were essentially getting dragged out of their vehicles or out of their uh, out of their offices or what have you, and just destroyed in the streets. I mean, these guys were getting completely ripped. Uh, I mean, they were police. Yeah, they were. And American cops, I mean, think about the visceral reaction that Americans uh. would have to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't because we're cool, but... Because <laughs> um, we're cool. Lots of people would, and it's it's sort of a similar thing because they think they're doing the right thing, whatever. But the, the big one, bigger than that, was Nagy's declaration on November the 1st that Hungary would withdraw from the Warsaw Pact. Oh, no, that's a big one. Yeah, that they would become an unaligned country. Oh, you can't just go doing that. No, 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 no. In the Soviet Union times, Hungary was on the Soviet Union's border. So you're going to have a neutral country. A potential spy-filled country. Right there, yeah. And that that was too much. That's not great. They could not deal with that. Who knows what sort of fuckery the CIA would get up to if they had a border country. Oh, a lot. So they changed their minds. Khrushchev's like, okay, actually, no. I was going to be chill about this, but no. Shit. Okay. So their new plan is let's get Kadar, who's in. I mean, he's like the general secretary. Let's get him to switch sides. (gasps) Uh, Let's get him to declare a new provisional government. Ask the Soviets to intervene and restore order. Fuck. Okay. Shit. And so they gather all the homies. They... Go to all the Warsaw Pact countries, do a one-on-one, and say, you can't tell fucking anybody this. We're about to take down. We're about to invade Hungary. We're about to take down Nagi. Fuck. And they let them all in on it. They talk to China. They say, hey, we're about to take down Nagi. Uh, they talk to Tito in Yugoslavia, even. And they say, hey, we're about <gasps> to take down Nagi. They're like right next door. They get ready to roll. And then they do it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> slash sad because Nagi actually hears reports about Soviet troops rolling in like from the east as reinforcement and he goes to the ambassador and is like something I should know <laughs> and the ambassador like no no bro no like we wouldn't do that it's chill yeah that must be a mistake yeah <laughs> you should lose their number whoever told you that but they were lying because uh, in <sighs> November 3rd newly reinforced Red Army troops had encircled Budapest and they quickly launched their attack the next bright and early morning, 3 a.m. Oh my gosh. And it's lightning fast. They uh, roll in, they split the city in two, they take over all the bridges, and they're quickly closing in. Nagi's in the government center pleading to the nation over the radio, just saying, uh, you know, like the Soviets are invading, fuck. Uh, you know, <laughs> but also he. I was kind of credit to him. He's like, don't resist. There's no hope. Like, don't, okay, don't good, get killed. Good. You know, I'm sorry. And he flees to the Yugoslav embassy. But as soon as he exits, even though Kadar had said, nah, bro, we got you. We're going to safely transport you out of here. 
When he exits, he's arrested and uh, whisked off to be charged in secret with treason and execution. Oh, 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 shit. Okay. How's the treason? I mean, he was just doing his own thing. I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah, he got got. He uh, got fucking severely. got. Okay. Yep. And with that, Kadar announced the, uh, like a provisional government called the Hungarian Revolutionary Worker Peasant Government. Sounds kind of cool. It does sound cool. And <laughs> in the meantime, Soviet troops continued sporadic fighting with rebels that's finally put down on November 11th. Ultimately, casualty wise, you're looking at 2,500 Hungarians killed, about 20,000 wounded. For the Soviets, you're looking at about 700 killed and 1,450 wounded. Uh, afterward, when Qadar's government takes power, uh, they do a lot of arrests. 22,000 people are sentenced and imprisoned for participating in the revolution or the counter-revolution as they're calling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13,000 were interned and 229 were executed. If we're sticking with the millions from before, this is not exactly a bloodbath. <laughs> it's not. It's not. But it's not very, cool, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, again, it's very brutal for anyone who experiences directly, you know, influenced by it, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The people who are imprisoned because of their participation in this would eventually be released uh, starting in 1962, completed in 1963. Uh, and the Red Army forces that had, admit, had been requested to Hungary uh, stayed forming what was called the Southern Group of Forces. And this occupying force stayed in Hungary until the fall of the Hungarian People's Republic into a liberal capitalist democracy in 1989 to 1990. They were just there the rest of the wow. time. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. Oof, man, I don't like this one. This is a bad story. <laughs> Well, how did it all turn out? Because, I mean, this was hard fought. What did they do? Okay. Did they get their shit together so that this doesn't happen again? I think that Kadar kind of gets their shit together. All right. So he takes power at a really low time for the party. They rebrand themselves to be the Hungarian Socialist Workers Party. And, I mean, come on. Like, you just asked another country to invade you. That's not a good look. Even if they were your bro, like, still. And it seems justified to them, of course, sure. Uh, but people are kind of, like, upset. You know? I bet. And so Kadar, his new approach was to be nice. Let's be cooperative. Try to listen to what people want more. Try to make that happen as much as possible, but still be loyal to the Soviet Union. So we'll, like, maybe sometimes say, like, Hungary is cool. Oh, we're doing this thing different than the Soviets. Ha ha ha. But we're, we're really going to, you know, we're still going to be on their side. Like, they're the cool guys. But we're going to listen to people. We're going to do more of their shit. Like, what they want to do. Examples. All right. Terminology first, then examples. So this approach, Kadar's approach, sometimes called Kadarism, which is kind of boring. I like the <laughs> other one, another name better, which is goulash communism. Ooh, is it like a little bit of everything? 
Yeah, that's kind of one of the meanings of it is it's such a hodgepodge, right? Not okay. Kind of a mixed economy. It's also, you know, obviously Hungarian, right? So Oh, I guess that Hungarian is Hungarian. So, so here are some, like you said, examples of that. Uh, one, disbanding the AVH, the secret police I'm okay force, with that. And then, you know, replacing it with a new secret police organization, <laughs> uh, but one that was reputed to be less onerous than other secret police organizations. Okay, well, not a high bar, but sure. Right, yeah. Um, what's the equivalent of that? The most gourmet Pop-Tart you've ever had. <laughs> mm, delightful. <laughs> uh, another example. Fewer restrictions on speech, on movement. There's still state control of the media, but very lax by the standards of Eastern European socialist states. Okay. To kind of a little bit of a more open society. Sure, that's fine. That's good. There's also, eventually, this it takes a little time to implement, but kind of part of Qadar's approach in Hungary is the new economic mechanism. It's sort of their version of the new economic policy. That's what I was wondering, yeah. <laughs> so generally an opening up of the economy, more markets. Firms were driven by competition for profit gross. Uh, rather than fulfilling production quotas, there's more flexible pricing mechanisms. So not for all goods, because they did want people to be able to like get staples and shit that they needed. Uh, there was self-management in collective farms, these sorts of things. I like the self-management. That's cool. Yeah. So it's it's definitely fits that goulash description of a mix. It's not full capitalism. It's more along the lines of what they were doing in Yugoslavia, more so than any of the other, you know, socialist states really at the time. This really uh, depended, though, on support from the Soviet Union. By this point, the Soviets kind of saw Hungary as a little bit of an opening in a good way, like kind of a middle ground to the West to where they could kind of showcase themselves as cool as get more ideas and shit from the west that sort of thing you mean they're like look we're cool because we're helping a country or or what do you mean by that look how look how cool hungary is like mm, they've got all this they're not doing shit. well though but like at this point like once they start doing goulash communism, okay. they're doing a lot well okay a, okay. a lot better rather <laughs> i like uh, a lot well a lot well <laughs> their standard of living starts to go up by a lot Okay, good, good, good. They're, again, more open, more free, people are happier, that sort of thing. Do they address, like, some of the worker issues of, like, higher wages and, and better conditions? Yes, that's also a part of this, of kind of the worker's self-management thing. But that, too, the whole, uh, all of this, really, comes at a big cost in terms wow. of aid from Soviet Union, but also they end up relying more and more over the years on Western capital in the form of loans. No, uh, this is the bad part of the goulash. Pick it out of my goulash. I don't want it. <laughs> well, if you recall, Yugoslavia ran into the same problem, right? I know. I hate it. They end up with all these Western loans and the banks are just like, oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Here you go. They know that they're going to be able to, you know, call Uncle Sam to come over and bomb the country into submission to collect. Goulash communism has this neat side of 
increasing in standards of living, more open social policies. I mean, it is a pretty dope place for people to live and to visit. Many people living in the Soviet Union and other Soviet-aligned countries like to take vacations there when they could. Like, it was, it was a hot spot. It was nice, yeah. Yeah. But, okay, but you're saying to pay for those nice things, they, they had to get those loans, or I'm assuming? Yeah, it's, it's more of a gradual thing. Initially, they're more reliant on just support from the Soviet Union. Oh, just keep doing that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Then is they that couldn't falls apart. keep doing that. Yeah, so okay. In, in setting up a complex economy like that, instead of just saying, hey, here's what we're going to produce, here's what we're going to, you know, and trying to be self-sufficient in that way, which is a little hardcore and mm-hmm. doesn't give you as much luxuries and consumer goods and stuff as quickly. It is more reliable. All right, because if you set up a complex economy that's just like, hey, we're just going to do it on prices, we're just going to do it on foreign trade, all this, you know, buy it from wherever you need to. Now your economy is way more trade dependent and way more reliant on foreign capital. Which means you get fucked over. Yeah, one big thing that threw a wrench in that was in the 1970s, you had the energy crisis, major shortages in oil, hugely inflated prices for oil. And so the, the... Soviet Union's like, hey, we, we can't send you as much oil because it, well, we, we don't have, we don't have any. And we're, we're, we're trying to get some ourselves. And so they start ramping up oil production like crazy. But that takes time. By the time that they do set up a dominant oil industry to become the world's leading oil producer in 1980, lo and behold, it was just in time for a super convenient oil glut, a <gasps> collapse in prices. What the fuck? Kind of neat how that happens once the Soviets take charge, you know? Wow. Not conspiratorial or anything, but um, (laughs) in the meantime, Hungary is like, shit, we can't pay these prices. You know, we have to rely more and more on loans to sustain what we're doing. And and it's important because, like, they are trying to keep people happy. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like. They're trying to address the things that, that started the uprising. Yeah, the United States runs into debt routinely, uh, has, a, has a massive national debt, massive deficits every year. They do it because they've got guns pointed against the rest of the world, and they do it to fuel the guns that they're pointing. Like, they don't even do it to, like, give us <laughs> nice shit, the people. No, we like, don't even get things. No. It's, just, it's just to keep a few rich assholes happy. If it came to that point, they would tell us, eat shit and die. Who cares? Like, oh, Totally. Do it for your country. Do it for the economy. So at least, you know, we say, oh, well, that was dumb. Just keep borrowing money. But at least they were, like, doing it to keep their people going. Yeah, yeah. truly. So that's the downside of goulash communism. Mm, um, that's the... I'm trying to think of a vegetable I don't like. There's not many. I mean, okra, I guess. Beets? You like beets? Oh, no, I don't like beets. Beets All are right. gross. Fellow beet hater. Don't at me about beets. At me with about beats, you can't because I don't have my stuff on there. But you know, <laughs> send us one that says for Grady's eyes only. And tell me how to cook beets right, I guess. Oh, uh, don't tell me. I don't care. I like beet chips okay, but still, it's just not <laughs> worth it. It's just dirt. You, you're making me eat red dirt that makes my poop all Potatoes scary. Potatoes are just dirt, Ugh, they don't have a dirt taste. Yeah, that's true. They're good. Beets taste like dirt. Anyway, get that dirt out of my goulash. <laughs> uh, all right. A little bit of denouement here. Uh, Kadar remained Hungary's leader 
from 1956 until 1988. Damn, that's a long time. Yeah, some staying power. Uh, when he he resigned under pressure from like the reformist branch of the party, uh, and then those reformers try to kind of nibble at the edges a little bit. Let's let's reform a little faster, right? Uh, but th- but in the process, they make a, a make more political openings for like even more radical reformers, more let's completely liberalize the economy yeah. sort of people. Yeah. Uh, and it's to the point where the conversation becomes like how to dismantle socialism altogether <laughs> rather than how to fix it. Okay. Tale as old as time, you know? Yeah. So in 1989, they rebrand as the Hungarian Socialist Party, which sounds kind of cool, but they set up a lot of uh, constitutional amendments to set up multi-party elections. And then they promptly lose those elections <laughs> to a conservative <laughs> coalition government. Fuck. Okay. That sucks. Yeah, as you can predict, as they're going on uh, the crazy sell-off-everything uh, to the highest bidder as fast as you can, massive privatization, binge, uh, living standards decline massively, unemployment jumps from, like, nothing to 14%, inflation yeah, yeah. jumps to 35% annually, rampant corruption and crime, and now Hungary is ruled by a right-wing strongman named Viktor Orban. Fuck. I mean, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> in 2020, they did a poll of Hungarians, and 54% of them said most people had a better life under communism. God fucking damn it. 31% of them said, no, nah, most people are better off now. <laughs> the other people didn't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm about the same. That was the other category was, I don't know. <laughs> I'm too young. I don't know. <laughs> damn. I got mixed feelings on this one, man. My therapist would say that I think too much in black and white sometimes. But I think... Sock them. <laughs> She's a reformist. Um, I think, though, what what this kind of story makes me think of, I guess, especially especially towards the end, wherever the nibbling at the edges that eventually gives way to right-wing nonsense, mm-hmm. is... That you can't leave openings for those fuckers. Those guys are like roaches. They're going to come back every goddamn time, no matter the size of the hole. But you were also saying multi-party democracy. So which is it? Um, okay, fine. I mean, I, to me, I think it's a technicality. Fine. You can, you can say no multi-party democracies, but then you have to be, I think the other side of this story that I kept getting frustrated about is they didn't have mass line. They didn't have... Uh, grassroots organizing in any way they have to listen to the fucking people like if they had just if they had went to those students and been like hey like nine out of ten of these i fucking get it you're right we did a bad job let me do a better job on that then they wouldn't give a shit about the last one (laughs) they'd be like oh cool like i got everything i wanted except like i have to hit a particular box and like but it's cool because that box is like feeding me and giving me good money yeah, you wouldn't be so upset about that if you felt like your voice was being heard in the political process, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, they weren't listening to the people. And I think, you know, from the very beginning, it was a transplanted movement, which is always going to be difficult. And obviously, their their reparations around them, like, made that even more financially difficult. But I just, I think they fumbled it so many fucking times. I think they're just like... They they picked up too much of that Stalin heat and were like, okay, cool, let's let's be really strict. And I understand 
the the ideas behind that of like yeah we have to be strict and like 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 I just said don't leave room for fascists but there's got to be ways to do that while still listening to your people and like actually fucking trying to provide for them yeah I mean I, I would say even you don't have to do it single party I mean right you can have multi-party things with like restrictions that's what the fucking liberal quote-unquote democracies do they still have restrictions these guys pass all these laws to try to make it to where oh you have to sign up in this way and this way and the other and they can they can still come in and say oh you violated this or you violated that and they can just you know there's there's so many ways that they can you could just pass a law at the national level that says, like, you can't be a fascist party. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Because the students, I don't think they were fascist. I think they had legitimate complaints. I think they, like, you know, maybe the the idea... I don't I, I, I don't know. I didn't see any evidence that are like, yes, liberalize the economy, necessarily. It was, it was the multi-party thing. But if you had said, like, okay, cool, we're going to have another party. But, yeah, like you said, like, like no fascists, though, for real. <laughs> and, like, you have to sign this thing saying that, like, fuck fascists. I think that would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, I just, I think there was a lot of missed opportunities for connecting with the people in a meaningful way and, and hearing out their concerns. Cause I mean like, yeah, that fucking, that one guy that was in there for a long time, uh, started with a B maybe. I forgot. Which one in the first one, the one that got installed. Oh, uh, Rakasi? The mean one? Okay, that's an R. Yeah, different letter. Anyway, that guy, he was kind of a dick. I didn't like him. He was mean. He was very mean. And, like, I liked the other parts of the reform. But, like, you can't, you just can't do that. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'm too soft. Too soft. That is something, though. I think about that sometimes. Are we too squeamish? Well, no, no one. Yes. <laughs> Everyone wakes up in the morning and wants to have a good day. And we're just these peaceful little humans that like these little creatures scared to death and trying to stay warm. And I don't know, just these, these little like if if we were like cute, like animals, I mean, oh, right. Oh, <laughs> I mean, people are, are basically that that way when you kind of strip away some of the extra shit and that i think increases sort of the tragedy when you look at anything human deaths or conflicts and stuff because you wrap up all these ideas of making the world better and and then fighting against someone else's idea of making the world better you strip it down to just well yeah but like someone's son or someone's brother or someone's wife is dying because of it yeah yeah that's like a real human cost. Whereas it would be better if we were all just like peaceful and happy and, <laughs> and, and, and everything. But then on the, you know, like that, this is one sort of problem, I guess I end up with, with some stripes of like a Christian socialism or communism is the notion of changing oneself as the primary vehicle is that it's too slow. I don't think we have the time to wait on converting everyone's soul. Yeah, no, because I mean, I know early on, I was like, oh, they shouldn't have gone for it. They should have waited and, and gone to connect with the people and build it internally before just fucking jumping in. And I think that could have worked then. But yeah, I, I see it really to me. And I, I know like Russia totally goes against everything 
in, in terms of like, oh, you have to have, you know, a developed economy to be able to make that leap. But they didn't, and they still did it anyway. So it's not like it's a hard and fast rule. And obviously, like, things change. Fucking do what you need to do. There's a benefit in doing a little bit of waiting. And it's it's really tricky because you can fucking wait too long and be in a capitalist hellscape like we are now. Mm. And <laughs> it's fine. And, you know, that's not to say it will never happen. But, like, sometimes it feels like, oh, fuck, we missed our shot, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, it. I don't know. It's really it's really easy to, to sit back and be like, mm, you should have done this and you should have done that. But like, who fucking... Ugh, I see both sides of it, but I'm mostly like frustrated that the people in power weren't able to connect with their people more and like fucking provide for them. Because like you said, like we're fucking creatures that want to be taken care of. Like that's all there is to it. And when you have someone who is hurt, they're going to like hurt you back. Yeah. And I think that's a good point of... You know, when's the moment and how does that happen for different countries and stuff? Because and that and that we don't gain a lot from just saying, like, damn, Hungary, you should have done this differently is OK. Well, what can we learn going forward is like, a yeah, maybe that's a project. better, a better framing. Yeah, it would would be that instead of like what they do wrong, you know, picking it apart. But OK, if we keep that in mind. And we keep in mind kind of where where we're at. We got too many fascists in here. Gotta well, get rid of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are in what Che Guevara would call the belly of the beast, right? <laughs> we're in yeah. the Imperial core, and chances are everything's not popping off here first. I think that what you were mentioning before is how it's like, oh, it's supposed to happen in a developed country. I think that was the big correction of Marxism and Leninism is it took imperialism into account. I mean, like that's the, one of the phrasings of it. It's Marxism in the age of imperialism, uh, is that it says, way, Hey, hold on. If you got all these countries hyper exploiting, then you're going to have these other countries where actually shit is worse, but shit's not as developed. So shit's going to pop off there. Yeah. And in the weakest link, not the poorest country. Otherwise Congo would be a, you know, communist utopia right now but Mm -hmm. in the most exploited countries in that category but the place where imperialism has its claws sunk in the least where it's it's bad and it's being exploited but not as bad as some other places right or maybe another way to phrase it or is it may be exploited as bad but the ability to crush it militarily and enforce that is the least Mm, okay like it's more remote or something maybe more remote or the gov- the government in charge of it is weaker or, or militarily not as you know whatever whatever it may be they cannot enforce their imperial hold as well yes whereas on the other hand in the imperial core like because of the exploitation we're fucking comfy and yeah. it's gonna take a whole lot to move us yeah that's 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 i think a big insight of like maoism and stuff is that that sort of world systems look of it as like when you're kind of wondering and baffling, like so many people work for like wages and shit and stuff sucks here. (laughs) Why, why aren't more people fucking communists or at least socialists or something here? At least not reactionaries. And as well, they're bought off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're bought off. They're drugged. They're, you know, pacified with media like there's a million different ways to distract a first person and we're all in it yeah we're limited in like our role of stuff like this one thing i think 
we should look at uh, doing our best to sympathize with actually existing social estates, uh, doing our best not to buy into propaganda. Yeah, I mean, you you did the research on this, obviously. So, like, it sounded like you had to sift through a lot of that to come to any conclusions. It was so rife. I mean, I mean, just <laughs> the so many people have to read these Wikipedia articles, but they're <laughs> laden with just and and it's like okay, like some of it is just too like Austin. It's just like no, like come on, like this beggar's belief. How do you tell the difference, I guess? I I don't mean to sound like a total skeptic or apologist here, but it's like, I mean, I I get things like like ranges of bodies. Like that one, you're like, okay, that's a big range. That doesn't really help me much. Like you could be saying anything at this point, you know. But is it it more just like the characterization, like the words they use, I guess? Occasionally it is. That's that's not frequently my tactic. Uh, One is passages. So um, Wikipedia classic encyclopedic thing or or like it's it's as if um someone wrote a term paper but only did cited sources and never wrote any of their own words is that's kind of how most pages are laid out and sometimes it doesn't flow that well but if you're reading it you usually can pick up like well you can just usually pick it up and then you can go look at the sources and be like that was from one source and when they're going, they they kind of get on a roll about something, and you can see, you know, oh, the the atrocities section or whatever is all written by this one source, um, you know, the death squads of whatever. It's 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 you can you can kind of get it in on that. There's also if you kind of Google the people that are the authors of various things, you can say, oh, this is somebody on the Heritage Foundation payroll who was in <laughs> exile from Hungary and is now obviously writing that. Yeah, that sense, okay, you know? okay. Um, and it's, it's not 100% that uh, to me. All right, so one thing I'm watching right now is uh, The Last of Us. And to me, it's a little bit understandable, to be honest. Not the anti-Semitic pogroms and stuff, but just the internecine <laughs> violence between these communities who have gone back and forth for so long. Mm-hmm. Reprisal after reprisal. There's. Uh, have you watched this? I have not watched this. I'm too scared. Okay. I'm a weenie. Yeah, you're not gonna watch this. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a, tell me. I don't fucking care. There's a. They come to a town later uh, that has kind of ha, used to have this very oppressive uh, federal government, you know, jackbooted thugs government. And then they overthrew it. You know, the people liberated them from it or whatever. Uh, and then that ended up in a lot of reprisals and stuff against them. And it was, it was very brutal. The, the first government was, and then the second one was too, because it was mm. in response, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I get that, you know, sort of impulse to trade when you, when you trade, when the shoes on the other foot, it's bad. And you have to, ultimately you have to pick a side on that and you have to say, well, like the side's better. Cause it is, if they live, they're going to make a better world. Sure. But it's still gruesome. So I don't know. Picking through that stuff is hard. The, the, the propaganda sources. I mean, to me, honestly, you just have to go in with a skepticism and just, just be like, 
I know which side I want to look toward as generally being good. But like with this one, it's hard because you're not really looking at like fascists versus communists most of the time. Like for a little bit of our story, it was, but <laughs> no, I know it, it was more reformist and it was uh, some, some Stalinist shit. So like that always carries a lot of weight to it. Oh man. I do not envy your tasks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another lesson I think from once the commune set up and everything is like you said, you do have to deal with in some way for real on, you know, hundred percent imperialist infiltrators, counter-revolutionary guys. Like that's not going to be it. And I don't care. I'm my categorization of softy would be, why don't we exile them? All right. Yeah, sure. Just like, don't fucking come in here. Just get them out. I don't want them. Send them away. Something like, get them away without me having to kill them. <laughs> yeah, sure. Very nice. But you do have to deal with that. But more importantly, and you always say this, is meet the needs of your people, right? And be in tune with what are the needs of your people with that mass line. You have to pay attention to what they want, give them what they want, and you're probably going to have fewer of the assholes trying to overthrow you. That's the thing. If I catch somebody coming into my country and fucking things up, I might kill those guys. But if it's like <laughs> in my own country, then I have to look in the mirror and be like, what'd you do? You fucked up. Like this is, this is in my house. Yeah. Because you know, bad faith on the other part, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, you're clearly trying some shit. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're an enemy. Like you tell us on TV, you tell your people on TV every day, how bad we are. <laughs> like, fuck you. Yeah, but like <laughs> when it's coming from inside the house, you have to fucking take a look at yourself and say like, all right, what do I do? How do My I fix child. this? This person I, yeah. has, yes, they, they, something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but can we get to that point? Like, can we deal with these lofty problems of best serving the people in our <laughs> commune if we don't? organize first i mean i i put those in that order because first i wanted to show you a little bit of the mountaintop before saying hey we're gonna have to <laughs> climb a lot to get there because we gotta organize like we gotta get ourselves yeah. ready for the revolution so that this can even be a problem that we have to deal with yeah yeah i mean okay but like we were saying if we are in the core where it's unlikely to happen like what the fuck do we do well that's part of it is and that kind of goes back to my first point of sympathizing with actually existing socialist states is you've got to essentially see yourself as a bad or see your country as a bad guy. You're like a Done. foreign agent here. <laughs> and when revolution is popping off somewhere else and they're going to categorize it as a violent uprising by extremists doing this. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes those extremists are bad. Let's be honest. Like sometimes yeah, it's not yeah. good shit, but when those weak links of, imperialism start to fall you have to really raise questions and try to figure out like oh shit are these guys actually kind of good and then what can we do i mean we're sort of limited we can clandestinely i mean this is illegal but you know people historically <laughs> have like gummed up the works of say the industrial military complex and that's super illegal uh, and very dangerous they've like sabotaged military production of different you know 
supplies and shit and there's, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's lots of stuff people can do i mean it's it's In not theory. advised uh yeah, on minecraft they can do this but <laughs> it, but I, th- I think that the the weenier version of this the version we're saying we're doing something and you can do <laughs> is just to, to understand like hey like these guys aren't actually the bad guys this is good we support them I know maybe our labor movement supports them because there's a lot you can yes. do independent of that stuff too. You can, you, yes, international sanctions regimes and stuff will say, Oh, you can't actually like send literal money and stuff like that. But if you've got labor internationals and things, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, us law only goes so far. They, mm. they've even struggled with uh, sanctions on Iran and stuff with European countries and stuff like not being willing to like sanction their own companies. Like, so if you can, these guys are experts at, at sheltering their money from tax, <laughs> you know, tax laws here and everything. You can figure out the reverse of that to shelter your money from them trying to like siphon it off or whatever and barricade it from whatever country. Like you can get around that too. That's a good point. It's probably also illegal, but just probably. do it in Minecraft or something. I don't know. <laughs> do it anyway. <laughs> oh yeah. But you're right. We're gonna be waiting forever. But we still. I mean. I think that's, in in a sad way, kind of good because it got forever to go. Like our the left is in shambles here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a long fucking way to wait. So we we've got a lot of a lot of work to do before we're ready <laughs> for any sort of shit to pop off. Because otherwise, it's just going to go in a reactionary direction. It's just going to end up something shitty because we were <sighs> st- standing around looking, just like, huh, <laughs> what? Oh, cool. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it seems like we're heading that fucking way. Oh, yeah. Not if <laughs> Commandante Biden has anything to say about it, but... Fuck right off. Oh, uh, what else? Any other points? No, I'm sad. You're sad? That never <laughs> happens when we record these. No, that's very unusual for us <laughs> to be sad at the end of an episode. Oh, we hope you enjoy our sad content, listeners. <laughs> we're like e-boys over here (laughs) making ourselves sad on purpose every week for your pleasure it's great we love it yeah pretty fun i'm gonna go lay down and stare at my cat that'll help (laughs) all right uh next week we are hanging out shooting the shit yeah talking about whatever demented stuff happens in the world Mm -hmm. it'll probably be fine It'll, you know, maybe the mountaintop will be a little bit closer. Probably not. Yeah, we'll see. We'll probably fall into a new pit of hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. All right, dude. Talk to you then. See ya. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to 
our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up and coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.